You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Faye, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know, when lightning strikes, where you're meant to go, you can stand and shout Eureka, do whatever you like, you'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hi, this is Gerald Brenner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about that wondrous, heart-thumping, tingly, mic-drop moment when you knew you had to be an artist. My guest today is Patrick Bowl. In his 30-year career, Patrick has performed on Broadway, off-Broadway, and around the country. On Broadway, he starred in Mamma Mia!, as Bill Austin for nearly three years. He was in the Coen Brothers film, Burn After Reading with George Clooney and Brad Pitt and had to be single with Dakota Jackson and Rebel Wilson. Just a few of his TV credits include FBI, Gossip Girl, Law and Order, and there are many spinoffs. He's taught acting at universities and conservatories like Playwrights Horizons and Western Michigan University and the New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts. And Patrick is now an author. In April, his first book, Product You, came out. It's all about what it takes to be an actor. Welcome, Patrick. Oh, good Lord. Gerald, how are you? Thank you. That's such an introduction. It's, it's, that's my whole career right there. Right I think we there. can end the whole interview right now because you've said it all. It is such a pleasure to have you on. It's, it's so great to be here. Thank you. So let's let's talk about your lightning strikes moment when you knew you had to be an actor, or or it could be moments of when you had glimmers of okay, this was the path. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I love the premise of this because, you know, as I'm thinking through them, um, uh, on the one hand, I'm still waiting for that moment saying, wait, when is this going to happen? But of course, it, it's happened many times uh, over the years. I think the very first time for me was actually in high school. And you know, the funny thing was I was, I was a big jock. I, I ran track and I was, you know, uh, I hung out with the cool people and all the rest of it. And, 
And one day in my junior year in high school, my English teacher, Bruce Kefchen, who I loved and adored, saw me, you know, making trouble in the hallway, probably, uh, just being a typical teenage boy. And, uh, and he said, hey, Bull, you got a big mouth. You ought to try out for the play. And that's the truth. And I thought, oh, yeah, oh, okay. So I went and tried out for my first play. It was called Whose Life Is It Anyway? Uh, there, was a, there was a movie of it starring Richard Dreyfus a few years after that. But um, I can't remember who started the original play. Anyway, I, I played uh, an orderly, John the Orderly, uh, the hospital orderly. And I ran around the hospital. And, but that was, my first, that was my first play. And it was such an eye-opening experience in life. It was such a, an amazing, um, you know, thing to be accepted into this totally different group of people that I, I knew on the fringe, but I, I just had not, you know, been a part of that world at all. And as soon as I sort of got involved, you know, I, I think that was the first time that, as you say, you know, lightning strikes. And I, I kind of thought, wow, I, I have no idea what this is, but this this is it. Um, and I, you know, I, I kind of went forward from there. Is it hard to describe how you felt when you were performing or in rehearsal you thought, yeah, more of this. You know, what was it that gave you that sugar rush about it? Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because it is. On the one hand, it's a sugar rush. But on the other hand, and I, I would hope that, you know, fellow performers, other people who are listening to this are going to nod their head in some way and go, yeah, I, I get it. I know what you mean. There was something about the experience where I, I thought, I'm home. I just thought I'm home. I know what this world is, even though I didn't know anything about it at the age of you know seventeen or eighteen. I just there was something, and I thought I, I I just fit here. You know, I talk about this a lot, especially when I teach. I talk about sort of finding your tribe. You know, yeah. knowing the people that you that you can live with and work with and argue with and love and and all at the same time. And um, and I think that was. You know, there was something about that even back then that I kind of thought, oh, this is just, this is it. Um, <laughs> and, you know. how, yeah, and this was in, for people that don't know, this was in Gross Point, Michigan, right? So how did you end up at New York University's School uh, of the Arts program? You know, how did you end up from going to, from the orderly to say, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm really gonna go for this conservatory training, and I'm gonna go for it. Yeah, I mean, it's you know the funny thing is every step along the way w was always, even for me, kind of met with. I guess some of this is you know looking back on it, but I think I don't know how I knew what to do and when to do it. I just knew to keep moving forward because this is what felt right, even though it was kind of terrifying all along the way. So, um, you know, it, it's funny, a place like Gross Point, Michigan um, is, you know, <laughs> it's depicted a very certain way in movies and, uh, you know, TV. And um, it's, it's definitely a, a very, um, 
you know, it's a very conservative Midwest town. It's a beautiful bucolic setting and, and, you know, green grass and trees. And there's a lot of auto executives who live there. And it's, it's a very well-to-do community. So it was certainly a, a great place to grow up. Um, but, you know, once, once I kind of finished high school and, and tried to find my path, I, um, I actually started at a small school in Detroit. Um, I went to Wayne State University and mm. I took a couple of theater classes and, and I, I sort of dipped my toes. I, I, as much as I wanted to dive in, I was just kind of terrified because I didn't know what to do. There's no sort of, you know, pathway, especially for a young kid in a very conservative, modest upbringing to go, hey, go be an actor, because that's a great life choice. (laughs) Um, So I, you know, I I often say this, and I, you know, I adored my father, but my when I told my dad, I wanted to be an actor, he kind of looked at me strangely. And he said, Well, you know, I'd love to help you out. He said, at least if you were a football player, you'd have 10 other guys on the field with you. And, you know, his point was, at least there's other people to help you out. As an actor, you're just on your own. And that was very much the truth. Um, But, you know, my parents are very supportive of me. Um, But anyway, so I started at Wayne State University. I went there for a little bit. Then I transferred to Michigan State University uh, I was there for a, a couple of years, and and once I really started doing a lot of theater and really getting into it, I thought I need to, I need to go where the action is, and uh, you know I, I sort of debated whether I should go to L.A. or go to New York, and I always felt like New York was where the real actors are, you know, um, not that L.A. is not real. Uh, but, but I certainly felt like, you know, I want theater training and I want to be a real actor and taken seriously. And, and so that's how I actually had a friend of mine from high school who, uh, who is now a very successful casting director in New York. She's still here. Um, her name is Laura Stanzik. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but uh, so Laura is my oldest friend in New York and we went to high school together and she went to NYU and I flew out to New York and uh, and auditioned for NYU and got in, and that was that's how my NYU story started. Did NYU completely transform your life? Studying at the conservatory, yeah, you know, at Circle in the Square there. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about a place like NYU was for me too. You know, I had spent a couple of years in college taking you know, basic liberal arts courses and art history and all the things you had to take. So when I got to New York, I really, I was a little bit older. I really knew what I wanted to do. And so it was great because I spent three days a week in conservatory, um, as you know, studying voice, uh, movement, technique, acting, comedy, song interpretation, you know, all the things that an actor in training does. And it was just it was heaven on earth. I mean, it was everything I, I had hoped and wanted it would be. And I didn't even know what it was till I got here. Um, but I was also challenged. I, I had such great motivation, uh, and, and not to sound like a typical author, but there is a, you know, there is a moment in the book where I mentioned uh, a quote from an old technique teacher of mine named Joel Fink, 
at NYU at Circle in the Square. And he said, um, he says, you're going into a business where no one wants you and no one needs you. And if you can live through that, then you might make it as an actor. And, <laughs> and as harsh as that sounded, I loved it because I thought that's a great challenge. And it's kind of true. Not, not that no one wants you, but, but you know, there are plenty of actors out there. So no yeah. one wants you, no one needs you. So you really got to work for it. Yeah. Well, and I love that you wrote this book to create a roadmap for, for other, for actors who, like you said, you, you didn't have one. You didn't have a blueprint when you started out. So can you talk more about that? The, uh, and your book about your book and how that came to be. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, uh, and you're right. That's such a great word to roadmap. I, I think, you know, over the course of, of years of, of navigating this business and what it takes to kind of make it through, um, I, you know, everyone's story is unique and different and, and that's the beauty of it too. You know, they're, they're, on the one hand, I write this story, I write this book that, yes, this is a roadmap. And at the end of the book, I say, look, this is what worked for me. None of it may work for you. All of it may work for you. Some parts of it may work for you. <laughs> um, but I think at the same time, that's kind of the beauty of, of being an actor is it's an open road. And you can sort of, sort of choose the path that, that you want to choose. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Um, so for me, I, 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 you know, over the course of years of doing a lot of theater and then getting into t more TV and film and, and doing musicals, you know, the funny thing is you mentioned Mamma Mia. <laughs> when I got out of NYU, I, yeah. I will freely admit this. I hated musicals. Oh, I <laughs> thought they were silly and uh, just, oh, I turned my nose up at them. And, and here's a funny little story. And um, I don't know how I knew this answer, but I called into a radio show back in the day when there were call-ins on radio shows. And the question was, who played the original Phantom of the Opera in the movie? And I called in and I won the prize. And the answer, by the way, do you know the answer? So it was Lon Chaney Jr. Okay. Okay. Lon Chaney. Don't ask me how I knew, but I knew the answer. I called in, I gave the answer, 
and I won the prize. And the prize was two tickets to the original Phantom of the Opera on Broadway and two autographed albums, vinyl LPs, which I still have, whatever, 30 years later, autographed by Andrew Lloyd Webber. So I won these tickets and I went and saw the show. And anyway, as I was saying, I just turned my nose up. I was like, oh, people are applauding a chandelier. What is the point of all this? And then somewhere along the way, I started doing musicals and I started, you know, having a great appreciation for musicals. And I ended up just absolutely falling in love with musicals. And now in my life and my career, I probably spend. Well, I say I, I kind of split my time between straight plays, musicals, and TV and film. Like, those are the three avenues. Well, pre-pandemic, those are the, those are the things that I work in. But it's fair. What do you think it was that got you hooked on musical? I mean, because you literally just had a cabaret show that you did, a wonderful I, cabaret show at Don't Tell Mama. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I... Uh, I well, so, so you know, just touching back on the lightning strikes moment, another lightning strikes moment for me was a, a year or so after I got out of NYU, I auditioned for the non-equity company at the Williamstown Theater Festival. Right. And, and I ended up spending three years, uh, three summers up at Williamstown. And that was another just life-altering lightning strikes moment where I, I worked with Oh, I mean, the first show I did was the the last show that uh, Nico Sakharopoulos, who founded the mm-hmm. Williamson Theater Festival, it was the last show that he ever directed. He he passed away after that that later that year, and I did this um, two six hour two part version of the Legend of Oedipus, <laughs> and and the list of people in that play. Uh, Joe Morton, Jane Kaczmara, Kate Burton, um, Michael Kupsey, but then young actors like Paul Giamatti and John Hickey and Scotty Cohen and, and all of us, we were all non-equity actors at the time. Um, John Hickey had just gotten out of Juilliard, I think. Uh, anyway, it was, it was those three years at Williamstown were sort of my graduate school. That's where I really learned the craft of acting and how to, how to, you know, create a character. And, um, and that's also where I started singing. They sort of forced us into auditioning for cabarets and things up there. And Chris Reeve was around and, 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 you know, we, we sort of, uh, once I was forced into it and started doing shows, I realized, Oh my gosh, this is a blast. And I can, you know, make a living doing this. So, uh, so that's kind of where the musical element came about. So I was a little late to the musical game, but I, I picked it up quickly. That's so extraordinary to me that here you sort of found singing later in life. I mean, not late, but found singing as an adult, and then you star in the Broadway show in musicals. Yeah, it's sort of a. <laughs> bizarre twist of fate isn't it but um but it's, you know i i worked with an actress once who just said it's so true she goes you know as actors we just go where the wind blows us is it hard to describe how singing makes you feel i will say this 
especially in, in, you know, well, I, I feel I, I'm very fortunate that I was able to do a, a long run of a Broadway show. Um, and I know that's a very small circle. So I'm, I'm, I will forever be grateful to Judy Kramer and the whole team at Mamma Mia and, and that I, you know, was with it that long. Um, but I will say the thing about doing, you know, eight shows a week, it is, it is brutal. It is a lot of work. And I, I have so much love and appreciation for, you know, seeing a show and watch these people up there dancing and singing. And, but the thing that I loved about that is I, you know, it kind of goes back to when I said uh, in high school, I was an athlete. I, I loved the physical part. I loved the, the physical aspect and singing musicals is such a physical, it's so much exertion, even when you're not, I'm not a dancer, but certainly in Mamma Mia, there was a lot of movement. There were a lot of musical numbers that you had to move around in. Um, not to mention <laughs> wearing four inch uh, heels and spandex at the end of the show. That takes a lot <laughs> out of you. Well, let's go back to your book then. What inspired your book? Um, what inspired my book? I guess it started with, you know, over the years I had done workshops. I had, I had taught different, um, you know, audition workshops or just talking about being an actor. And the, the, again, the kind of what my path was and, and realizing, you know, everybody's path to success is different. And when I say success, you know, I also use that term loosely because success is such a, it's a moving target and it's different for everyone. You know, one person's success might be international movie stardom. Another person's success is just being a working actor. Another person's success might just be, well, I really want to do theater, but I'm, I'm too nervous about spending that kind of life. So I'm going to, you know, be an insurance salesman. But in the meantime, I'll do community theater or, you know, I mean, my book in particular probably talks more to uh, a professional aspect, you know, being a professional actor. Um, but it, it, you know, I, I just realized there's validity to everyone's story. You know, every person, every actor's story is different. And I think, you know, one of the things I talk about as a teacher too is, you know, the first day I teach a class, I talk to students and I say, listen, I'm not, I might have more experience, but I don't look at myself or at you and say, well, you're not an actor yet. If you're in class and you're studying to be an actor, you're an actor. You and I are on the same plane. I've just done it longer. So I might know a few more things and I can, you know, hopefully help you along the way. But, you know, I've always considered myself to be a big cheerleader of acting and mm -hmm. of actors in particular, because I know how hard it is. I know how much work it is, uh, which is also why, you know, whenever I watch a show or a especially in theater. And, you know, if it doesn't work or, you know, it's not my favorite show, I never blame the actor. I always blame someone else. <laughs> I always go, oh, this is horrible lighting or this is terrible. You know, look at that set design. It ruined the show. No, that's not true. But I just, I never blame actors because I always feel like I know what it takes. And, um, and I'm such a cheerleader for actors that I, you know, I always want them to succeed. And, and I think that's kind of what inspired me to write the book was to talk about, you know, what, what my path was. And I guess I, I'm also, 
um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a linear, pragmatic person. And I thought, well, let me see if I can kind of lay this out in some sort of pragmatic way so that people can read it and kind of go, oh, okay, here's a roadmap, which is what you said in the very beginning. You know, it's, it's yeah. sort of a roadmap. And, and you know, I, I've, I've found, for example, if I'm understudying, which I've done a few times, I kind of love that because someone else has already driven down the road and now I just have to kind of follow behind. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to create my own character, but at least, you know, I, I did a, I did a show. Um, I, uh, covered, I understudied Ray Fiennes once in a Broadway show called Faith Healer. And, and it was wonderful because Rafe had sort of created this whole world around him. And, and it was great that I got to just kind of step in and go, Oh, okay. I just have to inhabit this world. I don't have to, create the world because Rafe already created it. That was great that you, that you see that, you know, uh, what, what I also love is that your book is one-stop shopping, you know, that you, there's lots of topics that you cover you know, from the nuts and bolts of getting your headshot and resume to training, to keeping healthy. Why was that important to be, you know, to, to sort of, to be all encompassing. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, as I was writing and I was, as I was going through this, I, I, you know, there's so many books out there and, and they're, they're all great. They really are. You know, my friend Glenn Alterman is a writer and he's written tons of books, acting books and monologue books and making it his latest book, I think is called making it New York. Um, Mary Lynn Henry is another old dear friend of mine who she wrote a book called How to Be a Working Actor. And that was probably in the 90s or something. Right. And, and that was the Bible of, you know, acting books. Um, and of course, you know, any actor worth his salt knows the Michael Shirtlift book called Audition. Right. So I just thought there's so many books out there that have such specific advice that I I, not that I'm shortchanging anyone. I just thought I don't want to get into those things because I don't. I don't need to. You know, Mary Lynn wrote a great book about the nitty gritty. I don't. I don't need to try and compete with that because it's already there. It's really good. Um, and even Michael Shirtless' book is, you know, it's it's the Bible of auditioning. I mean, that book is probably thirty or forty years old, and there's still great advice in it. But but I thought my story is about all of the things that it takes to be an actor. So not just auditioning, not just learning how to make it in New York, but, you know, I start out with, um, I start out talking about the personal side of it. You know, how do you take care of yourself emotionally and financially and physically? How do you do those things? Why are they important? Are they important? You know, and I sort of I sort of take that as a jumping off point and say, you know, you want to be an actor. Great. But, but, you know, if you want to dance on a Broadway stage eight times a week, you can't go out and get hammered uh, every night and expect to be able to do that kind of thing because it's, you're an Olympic athlete and you got to take care of yourself. So I just, I just felt it was important to kind of, you know, talk about the entire being of, of being an actor. Yeah. What would you like people to know about being a working performer? 
Because I think some people have this kind of fantasy about it. Not to burst anybody's bubble. Um, <laughs> but what do you, what, and what are the joys and challenges? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's both. It is such a joy and it is such a challenge. And, you know, as I said early, I, I sort of, you know, when I came to New York and that teacher said, oh, no one wants you and no one needs you, you know, rather than run to a corner and hide, I sort of took that as a, as a challenge to go, yeah, all right, this is, you know, good. Now I got something to, to dig into. It's a great thing. It, it is a challenge. I mean, the joys certainly come with uh, with either doing great work or having great roles or, you know, certainly financial success is, is a great motivator. Um, I would not recommend getting into the business if, if your only goal is to uh, have financial success um, because it's certainly fleeting. Um, but, uh, but it's, you know, I mean, I, it's a great, it's a great life. It's a great career. And I will say the thing that I've always loved about it is it's, it's continually motivated me to move forward. And in fact, you know, in this day and age right now, when we're dealing with the, the pandemic and with COVID and, and now the way things are, are coming about with social change, I mean, the whole world is just dealing with, with this upheaval. And, and I think a lot of us are, are just kind of trying to figure out what the next step is. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think we can't just sit back and and wait for it to happen. We have to try and move forward and, and move forward together and learn from what's happened in the past and, and, uh, and, and see where we can come together in the future. Yeah. And I, Does that I make also, sense? yes, yes. And yeah. I also love Patrick that you're so devoted to your family that while you were doing Mama Mia eight times a week, right? Uh, was your son born yet? You're your father of two. Uh, children and the lovely wife and you, you had this phenomenal family. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's, um, y you know, that's another question that I will say I, I get asked a lot, you know, when I, when I teach workshops or I talk about being an actor and being a working actor and having a family and inevitably, you know, people will ask, how do you do that? How do you have a family and have two kids? And, you know, I, I will say it, it, for me, it all begins with having a supportive partner. And my wife, Therese, has been an amazingly supportive partner over the years. She has always, you know, um, believed in, believed in me, believed in the power of the work. Um, you know, she, she is a, she's in the business as well. As you know, she's a costume designer. She's the costume director at the New York university, our alma mater mm -hmm. in the undergraduate drama department. And, and, you know, but she works outside, she does theater. So, you know, she understands the world. She understands the challenges. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've always been devoted to, to having a, a real life, um, outside of or including the biz, I guess. And, uh, um, you know, my daughter was in high school 
when I was doing Mamma Mia, for example, and my son was very young. Um, and in fact, I think Mamma Mia was the first, I want to say it was the first show he saw me in. And um, he's now in high school. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, it's, um, but the, the funny thing is, I guess, you know, what goes around comes around. He never wanted to be a part of any of it. He didn't like any of it. He, you know, he had his own thing, his own world. Well, what happened this year? He did his first musical. He played the prince in Into the Woods. It was, uh, it has changed his entire life. He <laughs> suddenly, you know, everything's changed. I don't know if he wants to be an actor. It's still, you know, he's got a long road ahead of him. But it's it's fun to see how theater has kind of opened up his world and his world of friends and the different people he hangs out with. And it's, um, it's, it's kind of magical that way. Oh, that's so wonderful. What a part. Oh, goodness. Well, I know. And we were very fortunate because they, they had four shows scheduled and they did one show on Thursday night, like March 12th or whatever. And March 13th, boom, everything shut down. So they didn't get to finish the shows, but at least he got to do one because I know so many schools, you know, I don't know if you the, know the Laura Benanti thing where she had posted on Instagram. I mean, oh, it just broke my heart to see all these kids who worked so hard and, and kids didn't get to do the show. It just, oh. Did he so, post? You know, yeah. Huh? Did he post on Instagram? He should. Oh, he did. Yeah. Well, actually, there was a little clip and, and I actually I, I know Laura. I don't know if we've ever met. Maybe we've met. But anyway, I had sent her a little clip of it. And I was, you know, I said, oh, here's my son doing it at the woods. And she was very sweet. She wrote back. Oh, my God, my favorite show. Um, you know, it's uh, it just oh, it broke my heart. There were so many kids, so many schools that had planned on doing shows. And, you know, it really is such a. It's it's just the hardest age. That teenage, those teenage years are so hard. And I know the theater is such a it's such a vehicle for so many kids to learn how to express themselves. You know, kids who can't quite find words, but through through theater, through the teamwork and communication of working with each other and, and all that stuff, you know, they find a way through and it just, you know, it broke my heart that it was cut short, but, but I know that, you know, I know there will be better days ahead. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, I remember because I know Patrick, uh, full disclosure. Um, I remember you once told me that you were kind of an emotional kid that you, right. That, that more emotional. Uh, <laughs> and I wonder if that, helped contribute to the lot you know to the the uh the teacher say hey try out for the school play um yes you're giving away all my secrets oh, no I, I was no it's fine listen i wear my heart in my sleeve and uh you know it's it's good and it's bad it's certainly it's <laughs> it's done well for me and gotten me in trouble so you know what could i say um but yeah, I was, I, I was a very emotional kind of kid. Um, and you know, as I said, I, I started out in high school, I was the big athlete and I was the big tough guy and, and you know, it, it, I, I had great friends and all, but, but there was definitely a part of me that just, I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. 
Um, and I think in general, that's a very, it's a very hard thing for, for adolescents and especially for boys. I think boys can have a very difficult time dealing with emotions, learning how to cope with them. Um, and it, it certainly was for me. And, you know, when I started doing theater, yeah, it was, it was an outlet. It was a way for me to express what was going on because I didn't have other avenues at the time. And you have many siblings, right? You're one of how I many? I do. I got a big family. I'm one of, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sitting here going, how many kids are in my family? So I'm one of seven. I have four older brothers and two younger sisters. And you're um, the- uh, and you're the only one who's an actor, right? Is that- I'm the only one even, I'm the only one who's east of uh, Detroit, Michigan, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, all my family's in the Midwest or in, in I have a brother in Chicago. and um, But yeah, no, I'm the only one in this business. And, uh, and you know, my family's been incredibly supportive over the years and they've come to see me and things. And, and it's it's been... Uh, it's been a great, a great ride, but you know, yeah, I'm the only one that kind of fell into this. And I think it was, it was as much as they've loved it. They, they, I I think all of my family has kind of thought, you know, they just didn't, they didn't understand, but I don't understand. I don't know. I just followed my bliss as they say. And um, do you want to talk about your first Broadway show that you that you got, what was it when you made your Broadway debut? Well, so that's kind of a funny story. So my first Broadway show was Death of a Salesman. And it's it's actually interesting. It was sort of, you know, it came back up recently because um, Brian Dennehy, who was Willie Loman, yeah. passed away. And so, you know, at the time of the show, there was no Facebook. This was in the late 90s. So, um but but now, of course, uh, with Facebook and Insta and all the rest of it, there was a you know there's a group of us who kind of reconnected through through Facebook and there's a little there's a little Facebook group now for our our show and you know we had I, I had a couple of old pictures from the show and other people had pictures and we we kind of shared and relived a few moments um, and but it was it was such an interesting experience because. So here's the story. I remember getting the audition. Bernie Telsey was casting, and at the time he had his office on 28th Street or something. So I go in and I audition for the show, and and I didn't hear anything. So I thought, well, okay, chalk that up, go on. Um, I ended up later that year, I was doing this show off-Broadway called Snake Bit, oh. and, and I get a call to come back in to audition for Death of a Salesman. <laughs> and my thought was, well, they already had me in a few months ago, and they didn't want me. Why are they bringing? <laughs> why are they bringing me back? Um, but at the same time, this was the funny thing. So, so years earlier, when I was at the Williamstown Theater Festival, I did a play called "The American Clock" by Arthur Miller, and and I had and uh, Austin Pendleton directed. Okay. And Ron Rivkin was in it and Fisher Stevens. And it was this amazing cast. And, and I had this great picture of at, at this, you know, outside, uh, you know, Williamstown is just this beautiful, wonderful place to be in the summer. And it's like day camp for adults, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
And I had this great picture at a picnic table of Nico Sakharopoulos, Austin Pendleton, and Arthur Miller. And I always said to myself, oh, man, someday I got to get these guys to autograph this picture. It's just such a great picture. So when I got the call to come back in for Death of a Salesman, I said to myself, I am bringing this picture in. I am going to ask Arthur Miller if he will autograph this picture because they, that was the other thing. The first audition, I didn't know that Arthur Miller was going to be in the room. And, yeah. and even though I had met him up in Williamstown years before, I was still absolutely freaked out. I, you know, it's like uh, you walk into the room and there's the greatest living playwright sitting uh, five feet from you. You know, you, you kind of want a warning about that. Yes. Right. So, so I didn't, I I was a little shaken by that the first time. So the second time when they said you're going in and I said to my agent, can you check, is Arthur Miller going to be there? And they're like, yes, Arthur Miller is going to be at the, at the call, at the auditions, Um, which was great. You know, he was always a champion of actors and he, apparently he was at auditions all the time. He would always go to auditions um, for his play, which is a wonderful thing. Um, because, you know, a guy like Arthur Miller didn't need to show up to auditions, but, um, so I went to the, the, uh, I went into the audition and I brought this picture and I got to tell you, I did the audition. The audition was to understudy, um, happy and happy Bernard and Stanley, the waiter. And I actually loved Stanley more than anything because he was the he was the you know comic relief of the show, and uh, and at, at when the audition was done, I took a moment and I was like, um, you know, Mr. Miller, I don't know if you remember me from years back, but I worked uh, up at Williamstown. I was in the American Clock, and I'll never know whether he was lying to me or not. But he immediately said, oh, "Of course, I remember you. It's wonderful to see you again." You know, he was he was very gregarious and outgoing, and I said. I said, would you, would you autograph this picture for me? Cause I have this great picture. I, I would not recommend this to anybody going into audition, by the way, but I was more nervous about asking Arthur Miller f- for the autograph than I was about the audition. And I, you know, a day later or something, my agent called and said, you booked the show. And I just laughed cause I thought, Oh, I probably, I don't know whether I did the right thing or the wrong thing, but I ended up booking my first Broadway show after asking Arthur Miller for an autograph. <laughs> and you went on as Happy and Stanley? Uh, no, I actually never went on. I never got to go on. So I I did Death of a Salesman for about six months, never went on. Uh, a year or so later, I ended up doing, uh, I understudied in uh, this musical, very short-lived musical called The Adventures of Tom Sawyer with a very young Kristen Bell, uh, among others. And that was the shortest musical in the history of musicals. I think we ran for about six shows. It was just, it, it was a nice show. It just, we opened a week after the producers opened. So no one cared about anything but the producers. Um, and then about six months after that, I again was cast as an understudy in Hedda Gabler with Kate Burton. And, and I was understudying David Lansbury and Michael Emerson. And, um, 
I so the day came that Michael Emerson could not be in the show, and they said you're going on. I said okay, great. So we had a we had a put in rehearsal, and and moments before the curtain goes up, Kate Burton, who I had known for many years, we had worked together up in Williamstown a lot, so she was a friend, and and she said, oh, she goes, Patrick, what you got to tell me? What was it like going on with Brian Dennehy working? And I said, Kate, you know what? I I never went on. And she said, well, wait, have you been on a Broadway stage? And I said, no, this is actually the first time I'm going on to do a show. This was my third Broadway show, but my first time actually in front of the audience. So I go out, we do the show, knock on wood. I didn't fail too badly. Uh, No, I, I made it through the show. And this was... This is why I will forever say that Kate Burton is the first lady of the American theater. I came out, took my bow. A couple other people take their bow. Kate came out and took her bow as head of gabbler. She stops the entire audience. And it was, you know, it's a full house, 1,500 people, whatever. And she says, I want you all to know that this is Patrick Bowles' first Broadway show. Please, you know, give him a round of applause. She brought me all the way down to the front of the apron. And the entire theater, you know, applauded. And it, it was the most beautiful, selfless moment I've ever had in a theater. It, it was just unbelievable. She was so lovely and so gracious. And I, I just, you know, I was floored. Um, so that's my that's my Kate Burton story. <laughs> That's a beautiful story that she recognized that because I've heard from other actors who've been, repl- whether they replaced or, um, and they say, you know, for anybody else, it's a Tuesday night seeing the show, but when it's your Broadway date, when it's your debut on stage, it's a whole other. So for her to acknowledge that. Oh, it was just, it was lovely and stunning. And yeah, I mean, again, Kate, you know, I look at Kate's the history and, you know, she, yeah. I know she went to Yale and she, she's just, she is a woman of the theater and she always has been. And I know that she was in scandal and, you know, whatever. She's done plenty of TV and film in her life, but um, you know, it was just such a, a wonderful moment um, and so classy and, you know. Now, did you want to talk about another play that you were in called One Date Love? Totally up to you. I mean, I can't begin <laughs> to tell you what the experience of One Date Love was. So One Date Love was this fantastic, um, I would say it's a one-woman show. Well, it really, it is a one-woman show, but I had the honor and the pleasure oh. of sharing the stage with one Gerald Brunner, <laughs> uh, who wrote and performed One Date Love. And the best part of it was really the most fun part. And and this is one of the things about a show like that, that I really loved because I I remember early on, you know, talking to, to, well, even agents back in the day when I struggled to find an agent. And, and I was like, I'm kind of a character man in a leading man's body, right? I'm a big guy. I'm six, four. I know what I look like. I know what people expect of me. But at the same time, I'm sort of a character guy. Like, I, you know, the bigger fool I can make of myself, the, the better off I am. <laughs> and so One Day Love was fantastic 
because I think I played 11 different characters <laughs> and I got to run around and throw on scarves and glasses and, and it was all in the service of your story. And, and that was the beauty of it. And, uh, you know, we had so much fun doing that thing. Um, and I hope it comes back. I hope there's another life to one day love. I hope so. I keep, <laughs> I'm expanding it, but I am forever grateful to Patrick. Uh, my, my world of interviewing and being on stage is colliding right now. Selfishly, I guess that Patrick was in my show, One Date Love, about the lengths we go to get our dates to love us. And Patrick played all these delightful roles, each one. All these different little characters. But see, and Gerald, this is the, the thing. And yes, we're, we're in the mutual admiration club right now. But I will say, you know, the thing that, that, that goes beyond just what we're talking about here is, you, you know, you... And uh, full disclosure, you and I were at NYU at the same time. You studied, where were you? Stella Adler, you said? Um, ooh, no, I was at Strasbourg. And then oh, the, you were at Strasbourg. And then I went to, uh, well, it was called Practical Aesthetics Workshop, which is now Atlantic Theater Company. Right. Well, that's where I was, too. Yeah, I went. Did you go away for the summer? Or were you no, in, in New always, York? No, you know, I always wished I had done that because David Mamet, right, took a, a number of people to Vermont with him, right? And Bill Macy. And I think, why didn't I? But you went? I did, yeah. So my final semester at NYU was that summer, and I went up to Vermont, and, oh. and Mamet was there, and Bill Macy, and um, oh my gosh, uh, Greg Mosher was there. Um, and, you know, but we had still like Clark Gregg was a student and Kristen Johnson, and David Batu, you know, we were all up there together. It was just one big mosh pit of people working and, you know, <laughs> trying to find our way. But it was a, a wonderful experience. But but the thing I wanted to say is you I know that you kind of took a different path for a while. And you do you I think you told me you went to law school and you know, you, you became a very successful writer. And in fact, I, I know that we had lost touch for a while. One of the first times we reconnected, I saw some article in Forbes magazine and I went, wait a minute, Gerald <laughs> wrote this article. Holy cow. Like that to me, was success. I was like, she's made it big time. She's in Forbes magazine. But the fact that you still love theater and wrote this, this show and, and had the guts to perform it. I mean, that, to me, that's why I love actors and I love theater. And I mean, it takes so much guts to get up and freaking do that. And you did it. Well, I had a very, I had a, a phenomenal scene partner in you. I, I learned, oh. you lift me up as the song goes. <laughs> so. Well, you're very, you're very kind. I just hope that, you know, I didn't... Uh, <laughs> embarrassed you too much but no we we had a good time but it really is you know it is worth noting and that's that's the thing uh in general for you know people in this business and going in this business and continuing in this business it takes guts it takes guts every day to to move forward how have you evolved as an actor going into an audition or well i think the biggest the biggest difference is um, I, I, 
don't take this the wrong way, I guess. I don't care as much anymore. I mean that in a good way. I'm, I'm much more confident in who I am as an actor, in what I bring to the table, what I, what, what I, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are. Um, I'm a much more fully rounded actor. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned David Mamet. Um, I remember him talking all those years ago at NYU up in Vermont. And he said, it takes about 25 years to form an actor. And at the time I was 21 years old or something. And I just remember thinking, Oh my gosh, 25, I can't wait that long. I, you know, (laughs) and sure enough, I want to say in my mid forties, I suddenly went, Oh, I get it. He's right. It takes, you know, it takes a long time to, you know, it doesn't mean I'm not nervous when I go into auditions and I'm not scared and I'm not going, gee, I wonder if I got this role or I wonder if I did the right thing or do they like me or do they hate me or, you know, that never changes. That will never change. And, you know, any actor who says that they're not nervous anymore is lying because it's a nerve wracking thing. But, but I, I'm much more confident about what I can bring to the table. Um, and, and, you know, so when you talk about evolving, I think that's the, that's certainly the main difference. Um, and it's funny, I, I just saw this wonderful commencement speech that, uh, this, this producer, his name is Jason Blum. Okay. Uh, he produced things like Get Out and, um, oh, I can't remember, but that was his, one of his big ones, Get Out recently. And, uh he went to Vassar college and he of course was supposed to go back and because of COVID and everything that's happening, he, he ended up doing this commencement speech online. And for anybody who's listening to this uh, and has, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, however long it is, you can find it on YouTube, Jason Blum um, Vassar commencement speech. It, it is a fantastic speech because he, he kind of sets the whole thing in the world of horror films, because that's what he was, he became a, a big producer of horror movies. And so he sort of uses the outline of how to produce a horror movie in, and, and he relates it to how to approach life when you get out of college. And you know, he talks about things like, just because it's a jump scare, doesn't mean it's really something to be scared of, or something like that. It's hilarious. But But one of the great things, the reason I bring it up is because one of the great things he talks about and he says, I wish I knew back then what I know now is, he said, I was so scared. I was always scared. I was scared of doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing or am I doing the right thing? And he said, I just lived in constant fear all the time. And and I laughed because I certainly saw myself in that comment, and I'm sure most actors who have lasted long have said the same thing. I, you know, it's like, yeah, I just, I, I, when you talk about evolution, I get nervous, but I'm not scared the way I used to be scared. It's like, step into the room, do your job, and, and, you know, you leave it on the table and you walk away from it. Oh, Patrick, it's wonderful to hear your stories. I'm going to think about that Kate Burton one for a long time. And it's such a pleasure to have you on When Lightning Strikes. Oh, thanks, Gerald. This has just been so great. I, I'm always, you know, I'm always happy to talk. And at the same time, 
I always think, man, am I ever going to shut up? <laughs> you- I'm, I'm sick of my own voice. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I love talking about, I certainly love talking about this business and talking about being an actor. And as I said, you know, I'm, I'm always a cheerleader for, for actors and, and getting back to the book. That was really the main impetus for writing the book was to say, Hey, as you said, you know, here's a roadmap, here's one way of doing it. And, and it worked for me, but I'm still trying to find my way through. Yeah. I love that. In in acting as in life, I guess. Right. Oh yes. Yeah, we are. (laughs) Right. I know. And not to be afraid of saying that. Yeah. And, and, you know, just, just being supportive of each other and trying to help each other out. And, you know, especially now with what's going on, you know, there, there's so much divisiveness and, and, uh, and, you know, running is great because it kind of releases all that energy. And lately, I mean, every time I run, by the time I'm done with my run, I I practically want to break down and cry because I I just, I, I just, you know, there's so much going on in the world right now. And not that it's sad, it's just, you know, it's unsettled and unsettled is a hard place to be. Yes. It's also a great place because it makes for change, right? And it certainly seems like, you know, there's a lot of change that needs to happen out there in many different ways. Right, right. I agree with you. I'm so, I'm grateful that we have each other. I mean, that collective, yes. And it's yeah. so wonderful to have you, Patrick. And I hope you stay safe and fortified. And congratulations again on your book. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on this show. And, you know, as I said, I, I've listened to uh, a couple of the episodes. I just love it. I love the idea of the show. And I love, I think people like to hear that idea of, you know, when, when, when is that moment in your life that you said, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do? And I got to say, you know, the great thing is this is not just about being an actor or being in the arts. I, I think, you know, right. there are people in religious life who suddenly say, hey, this is what I need to do. You know, it, it, yeah. it really relates to a lot of different people, I think. Yeah, I agree. Touche. Well, have a wonderful day. And, yeah, thank you. I appreciate yeah, Thank you, and good luck. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore, and the talent was booked by Anna Strauss. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.